Hello and welcome to Setting the Skein. I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. And Tristan, where the heck are you? No, no, no. You know what it is? You know what it is? I'm, I love Tristan when I say this, but I'm happy that we got a sub for these movies because Tristan already said he didn't like the first one. So I want somebody who's going who's gonna to like the second and third ones. No, he did like the first one. He just uh, argued with Doug when he said Andy Serkis. Oh, that's right. He did say that Andy Serkis shouldn't have gotten an Oscar for this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's on me. That's why Ex- Tristan's not on this episode. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Tristan, I love you. But I'm so happy to say that today we've got a sub for Tristan. It's our good friend, Mike. Hello. That's right. It's Mystery Mike, the mystery man. Not the here for a mystery man. this week. Except to, for the mystery, it. why the heck Andy Circus does not have a dang Oscar for these movies? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm here to I'm here to bolster the boys up in defending Andy Circus. So although Mike, there is another mystery I would like for you to solve for us, okay? Sure thing. And that is what the heck is happening with Lake Maid. <laughs> oh man. Man, I don't know. So much has gone wrong so much i don't have an answer for you man there are some things that like you know never be solved yeah true true so let's talk about some eight movies before we do that hold on i i really just want to address this so mike was completely out of the loop on everything lake mead uh until in our group me we all changed our names to something having to do with lake mead and mike just pops in did i miss something you know i'm gonna be completely cards on the table I'm like 70% in on the joke. I am not 100% in on the joke. I'm I'm still kind of crawling my way around in the dark. About I'm not sure I'm 100% in you know, on the joke. The, it's just Tristan showed up to the table one day when we were about to record, and he, he just acted like all he wanted to talk about that day was Lake Mead. He literally asked like three times, <laughs> what do y'all think about what's going on in Lake Mead right now? And we were like, what are you talking about? <laughs> anyway, uh, this has been our uh, weekly portion on Lake Mead. Uh, let us proceed to the eight movies. What we what we lovingly refer to as the Lake Mead feed. Mm. So ape movies. <laughs> so last week we talked about the rise of the Planet of the Apes. And this week we we're talking about the two in my opinion, and I think in, I know in Ben's opinion, and I think in Mike's opinion, I'm assuming in Elijah's opinion, the far superior sequels to Rise. Um, I, I'd agree. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we're talking about Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes, released in 2014 and 2017, respectively, both directed by the Batman himself, Matt Reeves. Um, and starring for Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Jason Clark, Gary Oldman, uh, Carrie Russell, uh, Cody Smith McPhee, and uh, in our Apes Corner, we have Toby Kebbell, uh, Terry Notary, Judy Greer, Nick Thurston, and the man who still does not have a freaking Oscar. I was about to say, uh, I, I think you're leaving someone out Circus. Last but the opposite of least in these films. <laughs> And then uh, in War for the Planet of the Apes, we've got the same ape cast. Uh, and we real I'll be real with you. I'm just going to tell you the three new cast members we have. We have Steve Zahn, uh, Amaya Miller, and Woody Harrelson. And Andy Serkis still doesn't have an Oscar. 
Uh, I didn't look up who was in these movies before I watched them. So I allowed myself to be pleasantly surprised by the sudden appearance of some actors I really like. Cody Smith McPhee, I've said, solidified himself as one of my favorite actors because he was the kid in the road. Um, and Gary Oldman is one of my favorites, too. And freaking Woody Harrelson, man, did he play a good villain. Mm-hmm. But we'll get to that later. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, these movies came out 2014, 2017. Uh, Don, if my phone will let me pull up the thing that I'm trying to pull up. Um, Don, ratings-wise, has a 7.6 out of 10 on IMDb and 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. A 4.4 out of 5 on Voodoo, because okay. Okay. Um, and an 83% on the Google. And four out of five stars on Common Sense Media. There we go. There we go. It's just common sense, y'all. It is. Honestly, with these movies, it is just common sense. And Dawn for the Planet of the Apes, gross. Nope. Oh, you're doing gross. I I'm thought you were I, I thought you were moving on to the ratings for the next <laughs> no, one. That's on me. And uh Dawn uh made for a budget of $170 million, grossed. Uh, seven hundred ten million dollars worldwide. Where is that good? Huh? Is that good? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's a smashing success. Okay. And then War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, ratings wise, seven point four out of ten on IMDb and ninety four percent on Rotten Tomatoes and eighty two percent on Metacritic and an eighty one percent on the Google. And four out of five stars on Common Sense Media. And then budget wise. Uh, War for the Planet of the Apes made on a budget of $150 million, grossed $490 million. Is that so still, good? still smashing good. success? Not as big, although I'll go on and say I feel like they did not advertise War for the Planet of the Apes nearly as much as they advertised Dawn for the Planet of the Apes or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Um, yeah, it's Dawn of War 4. All Planet of the Apes. Yes. Um, and Rise of. So we all kind of touched on this last week, but Mike, I'm curious, you know, what is your history with these movies? Oh, good question. So picture this. No, I, so these movies An old came out. cabin <laughs> 30 years ago. When I was a young man in the year, and I, I sat, I sat on the, I sat on the bearskin rug and looked up at my old pappy and asked him, "Pappy, tell me about the dawn, the war, and the rise of the planet of the apes." And that's my a, that's said, a bizarre way to watch these movies. <laughs> my pappy said the names aren't going to make sense, and you're always going to think dawn should have been first, but you're just going to have to roll with it, son. So. You know, I watched these movies when they came out. I want to say Rise came out like 2011-ish around then. Yeah, it did. Um, it did. Uh, that, this is like high school and the dawn was like 2014. So that's high school and the war was college. And this is all like during the time I'm like really getting into film. And I always like, I had seen Planet of the Apes, the original. I thought mm-hmm. it was pretty good. But when Rise came out, I remember watching it um, and just kind of like writing it off. No, it was kind of funny. Ha ha. And then I'm sure everyone is already, you know, familiar with this moment. And y'all talked about it last week. But the second Caesar comes in and he drops that no, I was stunned. I I have never been that stunned, I think, previously in a film. That just, I, just the power of movies to completely take someone who, like, I've always been a little cynical and a little, like, 
because I like writing and screenwriting, I kind of like, I'm like, oh, you're doing this and this and that and that. I kind of like at films like that. So anytime a movie just kind of sits me on my butt and says, no, you watch, we're going off-roading now. You don't know where we're going. Takes me for a ride. So I, I really, really liked Rise. I was super excited for Dawn. I watched Dawn in theaters. It's incredible. We'll get there. And um, so when War came out, naturally I had to go see War. And it was also pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. And yeah, I've just always loved these movies. I, I honestly think these are like probably the most underrated trilogy of movies of the past decade. Just mm-hmm. quietly top five, if not best trilogy, honestly, in terms of yeah. consistency of the yeah. 2010s. Just just consistent all across the board. It's only competition is probably um, How to Train a Dragon for me. Yeah, yeah, so, I think that's fair. Yeah, that's that's what I think. I think they're good and i think i think also it's worth mentioning the fact that i mean as far as critics are concerned each movie gets progressively better like rise has an 82 percent on rotten tomatoes dawn has 90 percent and then war has 94 percent so i mean you know it's not like our ratings matter for how we score these movies but i think it is worth saying that each movie like it it more than stuck the landing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it became something that it never needed to become. The Planet yeah. of the Apes movies, especially like when you go back and you watch the first time this got rebooted with Tim Burton back in like 2000, whatever, with, with like Mark 2001. Wahlberg. Yeah, with Mark Wahlberg. You see Marky that like these, mo- these movies never needed to be this. It's like, yeah. it's like you didn't have to. You know, this is going to be a, a random left field um, comparison that none of Good. you are going to get. But if somebody gets this, I'll be proud of you. Go back and listen to the score for the movie Ants. The one with the Z. The one that came out against Bugs Life. It's uh, uh, Henry, Harry, Gregson, Williams who did the Narnia score and John Powell who did How to Train Your Dragon. That score did not need to go that hard. It was unnecessary and it's unnecessarily good. And that's what these movies are. They didn't need... This is a monkey movie. This is a movie of monkeys. We didn't Actually, need to do this. Apes. Uh, uh, general chimpanzees and gorillas and like what apes are not monkeys though and apes are not it did but it need, it could have just been a monkey movie is all i'm saying or an ape movie but it <laughs> would have been played into the monkeys simians it could have just been <laughs> something so much more mediocre and they decided that they wanted to go that hard and i will always respect them for that but also go listen to the ant score especially the, uh, the track Colony, the Colony, track two, or the Big Shoe, also great tracks. Check them out. <laughs> well, this has been uh, side tangents with Mike. Uh, let's get back to the Planet of the Apes. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, we're going to bounce back and forth between both of these movies. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Ben, care to give us a little rundown of what happens in Dawn of the Planet sure. of the Apes? Uh, so... Uh, if you've ever read the tragedy of Julius Caesar, written by uh, our boy Billy Shakes, Billy Shakes, um, take that, but with apes. Yeah, that's that's done. Yeah, that's done uh, with. Um, but yeah, um, so Dawn takes place. Was it a decade after um, yeah. Rise? Yeah, it's, um, it's taking a decade after that. Um, the apes are still living in their forest. They have developed their own society, own laws, and have kind of been separated from humans for a while because they have uh, had this 
global pandemic uh, called the Simeon flu, <laughs> which is just some real science fiction nonsense. I mean, that made the movie really hard to relate to. I mean, yeah, there absolutely. Are scenes, there are scenes where like people are going crazy about the fact that they have to quarantine. You know, there are various health mandates that people. Mm you know lockdowns lockdowns you hear the voiceover of a guy saying there is a 95 percent chance this was just made in a lab somewhere yeah (laughs) you know i can i can excuse talking anthropomorphic apes but i draw the line at unrealistic portrayals of pandemics i mean for real like like honestly like when is a pandemic ever gonna happen again like come on exactly uh, anyway, back to the movie. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we move on, okay. I just want to point out also, because we're, we're talking about this intro, uh, Doug, I think, was the one who mentioned it earlier and how it was a little weird to watch now because you watch it and, and it's just all too familiar. I also yeah. want to point out, you know, they've been talking about this monkeypox business for a while now. <laughs> and when they called it Simeon Flu in the movie, I was like, whoa, okay, this is actually <laughs> way too real. And then yeah. Barack Obama was on on the screen and i was like this is way 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 too real <laughs> it's um, it's kind of freaky to see how close this got to the real thing obviously different results i think the simian flu killed um out of every 500 all but one i think yeah, it's yeah, it killed yeah, like hundreds of millions of people yeah uh survival yeah. rate is one in 500 i so, made note of that just just a little different than than mm-hmm. you know our present experience but like it's cool to see like the comparison of it because you see all the signs in the background, like all the set dressing has like all these different like quarantine procedures. I think mm-hmm. you see some like CDC like stuff going on and like just like really well done in terms of like the world building. Uh, so yeah, all that has happened and um, the humans and the apes are kind of living peacefully, just trying to get by the best they can. Till one day the humans are wandering around in the forest and uh, they come across some apes. Well, one of them does. Uh, and he's like, oh, no, an ape, I better shoot it. Uh, and then all hell breaks loose. Yep, pretty much. Uh, tensions rise and, um, and there are some fall. humans. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> There's qu- the movie quite literally ends in dawn. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> You've heard right we ride it. You've heard we ride at dawn. No, this movie ended at dawn. You can you can legitimately describe this movie in several ways that don't that do not sound like the same movie. You could say this is a Greek tragedy. You could say this is the story of Caesar. You could say this is just a gang of people trying to get the power back on. Man, you can you can describe it a couple of different ways. But yes, um, uh, tensions rise as our resident villain Koba, um, who we saw in Rise of the Planet of the Apes, right um decides to make it look like the humans attack the apes and kill caesar um and but it was actually coba and some of his followers uh but eventually uh caesar comes back and is like hey y'all what the heck you doing uh kills coba and takes his tribe back but at that point it is too late and war has begun the human settlement has already called in for reinforcements and well, war has dawned. Um, which, I mean, that bring. I mean, I'll go on and sum up war real quick. Uh, if you've ever read the book of Exodus, um, that that's basically war for the planet of the apes. Just switch I just out. I saw the plagues. Switch out the plague. No, there's a plague. No, there's definitely a plague. 
switch out the Egyptians for humans and switch out uh, Moses for Andy Serkis, who still does not have a uh, a dang Oscar. An Oscar. Yeah, yeah. You, well, and take the entire second, the middle chunk of the movie, rip that out, and put in the Great Escape, and like slot that right there. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then throw in have- a really, throw in a really uh, quick um, Great Escape montage. Say, so take with- out the part where Moses gets adopted, or no, <laughs> the part no, where no, no. Moses no. Yeah, so basically, yep, yep, yeah, you got it. Basically, it's not exactly like the story of Moses, like Ben said, but it does have many parallels. No, well, here's I, what I was trying is. to think here's of like what, what is, you okay. could take out. No, but here's like, what it you is. You can't okay. take out the part where Moses was raised by the Egyptians because he you. was raised by humans. Okay. Then here's here's how we make this analogy perfect. So, picture this, listeners: you're watching Turner Classic Movies, and uh, Charlton Heston's film The Ten Commandments comes on and you watch that for a really hot minute um, and then at some point there's a weird like programming shift and Turner Classic Movies switches to Alec Guinness's The Great Escape and then you suddenly flip right back to The Ten Commandments you you wind up in the exact same place that you left but you just, uh, you just had a weird like 20 minute montage of The Great Escape and then you can watch the Charlton Heston movie, the sequel, where he reprises that role, uh, the movie known as Planet of the Apes. And then you'll really have come full circle. Yeah, that's that's really when you when you get it oh, all together. <laughs> so Planet of the Apes. There's a there's a whole planet of them, Ben. They're everywhere. Wow. Is it Earth? <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> plot twist. Spoilers, by the way. <laughs> for a movie that is what fi- almost 50 years old yeah. uh, at least 50 years old I feel like oh old. yeah no it is uh 54 it was made in, it was made in 68 68 so, yep. yeah. yeah had to do some quick maths yeah so looking at looking at these two sequels i mean we can we can start at dawn because look i mean rise very clearly shows you that this is going to be a movie that's told from caesar's perspective and you know that's that's pretty true in rise although he there are moments where he plays uh supporting actor to dave frank to not dave franco's uh james franco's um i forget his character will will Will. um there are moments where caesar is merely the supporting character in the scene Dawn and War, welcome to the Caesar Show. Um, and every single, every single eye is on him. Every single focus is on him. And it's really interesting that we get to see this man, uh, this ape, uh, go from someone who uninten- unintentionally started a revolution. To becoming a leader of those he has freed, to entering the status of myth, uh, of of immortality. Um. Yeah, y'all want to start with with Don? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Shoot, I don't even know where to start. I think it's just the it's the tragedy. 
Like the, yeah. the, the, the whole point of Dawn is this, well, it's two things I would argue. It's the, it's the tragedy that this didn't need to happen, that the war didn't need to happen, but it's also in a way the inevitability of what's going to be going on and it's the inevitability of um the apes kind of becoming in my opinion straight up human you can just call them human mm-hmm. like when you were like caesar's a man i'm like i think caesar is a man i'll make that argument later but um the entire setup of dawn you just have this situation where you have caesar who is convinced that he's kind of not like a racial superiority person but he's convinced that apes are intrinsically better than humans because apes would never sink to the lows that humans would sink to apes would never never like lie cheat steal in the way that humanity is capable of doing Mm -hmm. and so that that's like caesar's perspective on this and And to be fair he was also wrong incredibly by humans in rise and it's not like he felt that way about all humans uh, I mean, even we see through Dawn and through War that he held Will in very high esteem. Yeah, and, and he's seen an angle of humanity that's given him enough pause to consider the humans as not something that need to be eradicated. But and you have that compared to Koba, who honestly, if you go back and you look at everything Koba's gone through, has every reason to, to want to burn the whole thing down. Right. He's only ever seen the dark side of what humanity is capable of. And both of them are just trying to stand out and look out for the protection of their um, tribe and for their families and, and what have you. And then you have the humans who are in the situation to where they, they, they're, they know that, you know, it's not like apes are killing them, but it's the simian flu, the very thing that is creating the rise of another apex species on the planet is the thing that is slowly wiping them out. So they're also not fans, you know, suffice so it, it, to say. it gives them something easy to blame it on. Yeah, it's an even easy though thing. it was technically the humans that created it. Yeah, yeah, and and also like if you're some of the humans in the colonies, you're like, well, I first of all, I didn't do it. Second of all, it's like I've lost everything to the flu that's that's conveniently named after the the perfect scapegoat. So I'm just gonna run with it. Yeah, um, and it's just kind of a it's an interesting situation because since you're posited in the perspective of the apes, you're supporting them intrinsically um even though it's like you, you know like, i think that perspective is really really interesting because the humans can be seen as such bad guys in this movie i don't think any of them act overtly bad none of them are really bad guys like dreyfus um gary oldman's character is just trying to protect like the few humans that he has left it's all he has there's this great scene towards the end I, i'm probably jumping around in terms of plot no, it's okay. it's just, there's this great scene toward the end where uh, they get the lights back on and everyone's celebrating, everyone's super, super happy. And he goes and he steps away from the, from the party, essentially, and he pulls up the iPad and he looks at what he's lost. He's lost a family. And that celebration is not something he can partake in ever again. He can mm-hmm. build something new, but he will never get back what he's lost. And yeah, it's and- like, this is all he has left. And so, of course, he's not going to hesitate if he needs to kill a few apes to get it done. So, And then we even see the peak of that in the third one with Woody Harrelson's character, the Colonel who has actually lost everything to um, this mutation of that new virus. Um, yeah. Cause he lost his own son to that. And I wanted to ask y'all, do y'all, isn't it implied that Nova is his daughter? No. Or there's no. some relation there. Okay. Cause like, I, I, yeah. I was trying to figure out the ending where he's essentially drunken, 
himself to death and yeah no so, he has the doll there and yeah so yeah, then, so go ahead elijah yeah. well doug i think you were about to explain it you got it so so the way it's supposed to work is nova drops her doll in caesar's cage right colonel goes and picks it up right and by holding it that's a little germ bomb that's a little germ oh, bomb okay yes yeah, the flu Gotcha. And so it's not that he's drunk himself to death. He's quite lit. He. Got, I gotcha. Okay. He got I misunderstood that. Yeah, that's very that's why the colonel doesn't speak in that last scene. Gotcha. Yeah. He can't speak anymore. He's okay. So so the way it's kind of the way it kind of works is that the telltale sign that you um have the mutated flu is the double nosebleed which Nova has at the beginning, the people who they're executing all have, and the colonel right before he dies gotcha. has the double nosebleed. Um, but yeah. Uh, and I think going back to talking about uh, us viewing these films from the viewpoint of the, of the apes, um, you know, it's it's very important to just say that all the human characters in these movies, especially by the time you get to war, they're not trying to get back what they lost. They're just trying to hold on to what they have. It's much less about it's by that point you're defeated. Honestly, by the time Dawn comes out, you see Malcolm and Dreyfus have by and large lost all hope for rebuilding and, getting back something new they're just trying to hold on to what they have that's the entire point that they go to the power generator other than getting war power for the community they just want to try and call out to someone they just want to know if someone else is there um but at the end of the day you get people like carver who hate him who want yeah. to you know they they still want to try and get something back you know they want to try and try and uh reassert themselves as the dominant species and it's not a good move it's not a good move i actually texted doug while i was watching dawn it's like i really just want to punch carver in the face yeah he's the worst coba did it for you that's true a couple times yeah it's it's kind of complex though because in dawn you can make the argument on like a purely biological level that humans are still the dominant species they've just been eradicated by a virus but there's nothing that's impacted them in terms of their higher intelligence at this point so you're always going to have people like carver that are like i get that the apes can talk and that's cool and all but we're still humans and that's like a whole thing that like i think people like carver are looking at which is in a contrast to war, which is like in two short years, it's it's now just a battle for survival because yeah. they're being rendered, I guess in their minds, dead, you know, by the by the mutation of the simian flu. Yeah. Or at least like it's a life not worth living, which is I think exemplified by the colonel in the yeah, other film. And and I think that's I think that's one of the one of the really interesting things to look at with Caesar, because like Mike said. Uh, Caesar has this sort of superiority complex. Well, he and Coba both do. They have the superiority complex that apes are the ones who are going to figure, like, you're not going to see the ape civilization fall apart. You're not going to see the infighting that you have. They have rules. They have laws. They do all the things that humans do to try to maintain order. 
And then you start to see the very obvious cracks they're forming in that dynamic because Mm -hmm. Koba fully wholeheartedly believes that he has the solution. He's been wronged by humans before and he's not going to do it again. Caesar has been wronged by humans, but he still has enough trust of them to say, no, no, I think, I think we're okay. Um, and that all comes to a head when you get Koba taking his actual shot at Caesar. I think uh, that's a, a really important part about is Koba. And this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. I would make the argument that that Don is, is, is taking the stance, and I think war completes it, that humanity does not mean being bipedal, mostly bald mammals with big brains that we are. Humanity, in essence, is kind of part and parcel of higher intelligence mm-hmm. because Caesar doesn't think that they are capable of being humans, but the higher intelligence that they've gained because of the simian flu is what's turning them human. And to be human is to err in the same way that Koba does. To be human is to fear and to hate and to kill. That is what being human is. And I think that's exemplified by the fact that, excuse me, Caesar's final words to Koba are that you are no ape. Because at that point, neither of them are apes. They're people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And a lot of, I think a lot of good sci-fi raises questions about personhood like uh, stories about androids, uh, like some of the ones that we've seen before. Bicentennial um, Man? <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, talking about how the, the reason the conflict happens in this movie is because there's already... Uh, talking about how the conflict between the apes happens because there's already tension between the apes and the humans, but it would have happened eventually anyway. You know, if not Koba, then somebody else would have tried to rise up, you know, and it's it sort of feels like they uh, the apes used to be animals. Now they're people and now they've graduated their way into people problems like political strife. I'd say if nothing else, I think you would have run into that situation after Caesar died. If not, the rest of the sad happened. And, and I mean, you get these really interesting scenes because both movies make a point to show um, to show very clearly these scenes of Caesar holding court, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Dawn, there's a very powerful moment where Koba starts to stand up to Caesar. You know, there's this... And in Rise, we're introduced to this uh, thing called the suppl- supplicating... Supplic- yeah, supplicating pose. Supplicating gesture yeah. where Caesar, um, before he speaks, when he still is with Will, he bow, he kneels down and, uh, and offers his hand for Will's permission to do things. Um, and throughout Dawn and the beginning of War, we see various apes sort of offering themselves to Caesar via the supplicating gesture. Um so already there's this hierarchical struggle where Caesar, even though he has been the the driving force behind everything that has happened, like he never asked to be leader. He just kind of stepped into that role. And the minute 
you see Koba start to stand up to him when uh, when Caesar says, just let them finish their human work. And Koba says, no, 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 this is human work. And he points to himself multiple times and says, human work. Um, you know, and and he gets almost to eye level with Caesar as challenging and saying, you know, who are you to say uh, what humans are? Who are you to say what is best for us as as a community, as a tribe of of apes like who are you to say all this when you haven't done it and then caesar puts him back in his place but that's that first moment of coba and caesar really uh exemplifying the sense of if you have the ability to hold power over a group of people somebody's gonna fight for it there's got to be a fight for it um, yeah and that that's honestly the worst thing that could have happened that's like one of caesar's biggest mistakes in that scene yeah is by beating Koba. he's just confirming everything he's ever feared and gives him the final push to like do what he doesn't want to do because Koba doesn't want to kill caesar for most of this movie Koba's not interested in killing caesar it's his friend and i mean even i mean even when Koba shoots caesar and he goes up to uh not rocket blue rocket it is rocket right guys don in Dawn, when when Koba go shoot Caesar and goes up to Caesar's the bright son. eyes, bright eyes. Bright sorry, eyes. sorry, I couldn't hear what y'all were saying. Um, so he goes up to Bright Eyes and you know says they killed your father or or I'll avenge your father. Like I think even there, there's this moment of Koba saying, "Okay, as long as nobody knows what happened." then I can still do everything that Caesar would have wanted me to do. And, and I think in that moment, I think he still is thinking I'm doing what Caesar wants to do. He just can't do because of who he is. But as the old adage goes, if you're going to take a swing at the King, you better not miss. Oh man. And he missed. Barely, but yes. Barely. Yes, he did. (laughs) But he missed. Um, it's only because of Malcolm that it, things ended the way that it did. Yeah. And speaking of Malcolm, I mean, it, it's honestly like it's the apes movie, so it's kind of hard to talk about the human characters. But I just really like what Malcolm ends up representing, which is just that hope that maybe something could have worked out. And um, it's just that final scene with Malcolm at the very, very end where they're talking very, very briefly. And I think Malcolm says something like, I'm sorry, I thought it would work. And Caesar just says, I did too. And it is like the most like heartbreaking moment because neither of them wanted what has happened and what is going to happen. And they know the consequences of it. And those are the consequences that you see in a war. So we're seeing an age Caesar um, at this point, like once we've moved past Dawn and we're getting into war, it's been two years. They've been exceptionally hard for him um he aged much more in two years than he did in the previous 10 but well, he at this point i, I just had, want to say this really quick i'm sorry okay. it's five years five years have passed between the, I, end of time, the beginning of war i think that's wrong it's not it literally I, says it literally says at the opening of war 15 years ago um a simian the simian flu spread through literally it's the first shot of the movie it's the first shot before the first shot I read the wiki like I guess the wiki's wrong because I read the wiki like recently. I'm really recently. Yeah, the wiki says two years. 
That's weird. Pocketlint.com says it picks up two years after Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, I think I'm right, Doug. I'm sorry. I, I, feel, I feel pretty right right now. <laughs> well, then someone tell me why in the Sam Hill it starts off with 15 years ago, blank happened. I, I, yeah, there's something up. You're, you're right about that. But in any case, whether it's been two years or five years, the man looks like he's aged 10 years. And he, at this <laughs> point, is acting like Koba, and they say it directly. He's gotten to the point where he opens a movie by losing almost every last shred of humanity he has left. He loses his wife. He loses Blue Eyes, which also, I think it's Blue Eyes. The wiki it's says Bright Blue Eyes. Eyes. It's Bright the, Eyes. The wiki says Blue Eyes. I don't know. Well, I don't know. No, I don't know. He, the his son is named Blue Eyes. Different things. No, he's not. Name. But the movie says something different. <laughs> his name. His name is Bright Eyes. Thank you, Elijah. He's named after Caesar's mom. Why is then? Why is it blue eyes everywhere else? I don't understand. It's blue eyes because he's the first one that is born from the apes that wasn't like (laughs) tested on in the lab, so he doesn't have the same green eyes as everyone else. I I don't know, man. I I just want to (laughs) say, Matt Reeves, get your. Get your stuff together. I just want to say that at one minute, nine seconds into War for the Planet of the Apes, it says 15 years ago, a scientific experiment gone wrong gave rise. Man, it was a bold choice. But how many years since Dawn? But how many years since Dawn? Keep watching. To a species of intelligent apes and destroyed most of humanity with a virus that became known as the simian flu. And what does the next paragraph say? Well, hold on. It's taking a minute. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, Matt Reeves is giving me a lot of time to read these words. It doesn't say. I okay. promise you well, it doesn't. I was <laughs> just going to say, how how bold of a directorial choice was it for Matt Reeves to actively gaslight everyone who saw his movie by having the canon be completely opposite of what you see in the film? But in any case, it's older. He's older. He's like Koba now. He's lost everything that's ever mattered to him except for one young son whose name I'm not going to say because it's probably contradictory. It's Cornelius. Maybe. And so <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, he's he's got very little left to live for. And he just straight up kills uh, the character who we eventually learn is Nova. He just straight up kills her father, like with very little hesitation. Yeah, he was kind of pulling out a gun. I digress. It's it's just a situation to where he's he's learned the lessons of how apes are becoming human and he's taken on the grizzled war vet role at this point i I think also it's important to say that by the time war picks up caesar has almost fully accepted the fact that he has become about as human as you can get because in rise of the planet of the apes he says two lines he says the greatest singular word of dialogue ever ever um to Draco Malfoy, and then to Harry Osborn, he says, Caesar is home. Um, and that's also great. So he says two lines of dialogue in the first movie. Second movie, it's kind of like 50-50. He talks some, he signs some. That's about it. War, he does not sign like at all. Unless, except in the great escape scene when he has to be silent. Like he's as disconnected from ape culture as you could be yeah they've become human at this point and this is the perfect time in the narrative and the structure with the writers 
to make the humans apes, to flip the narrative and set up what ultimately becomes Planet of the Apes with this mutation of the simian flu. Um, I feel like the story gets a little muddled here because you have Nova who kind of seems to exemplify that maybe when you have the mutated, um, the mutated simian flu, you don't exactly lose your higher intelligence because Nova seemed to be very intelligent and learned sign language immediately. Yeah. But then also th that gets a little muddy, but you still have the, the somewhat apification of people. Not a good way of putting it, no, but you have, but you works. have this it situation. Works. Yeah. You just have the situation where everyone is desperate. Like you have Caesar who is sick and tired of fighting and just wants to see his people safe. And he's lost almost everything he's ever had. And you have the humans who are about to lose the very last thing that makes them human and are driven to absolutely devastating measures in order to preserve it. And you have a character like the Colonel who like, the movie doesn't go into it as much as I think they should because his backstory is really interesting. Mm -hmm. But like the Colonel who basically had to give up his humanity to protect it. They're having to, having to like kill his child in order to preserve what little remains of, of humanity. Um, and you would think that this movie, like a movie called War for the Planet of the Apes, is going to be this big bombastic ending, but it's just like this really quiet prison break movie for the Which, most part. I mean, to be fair, the trailers definitely led people to assume that it was going to be big bombastic ape shoot gun movie. And yeah. then Mary was like, oh, no, no, no. Apocalypse now, baby. Yeah very very different movie and yeah. i i would say it just just while we're on the subject of war i don't think this one is as good as dawn just because some of like the subtle world building character development kind of gets lost and like like mm -hmm. the nova thing's a little weird and then a lot of the time it comes across as like we have a cute girl in the movie which like unfortunately because of marketing is a thing that sometimes movies use in order to like sell tickets or like get an audience to like like someone and they like, you know, like there's there, there's some stuff like that. And then some of the heavy handed like Moses symbolism, especially at the end with the promised land, like a literal promised land. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think that this movie comes to a very like earned conclusion. And this movie mm -hmm. builds upon everything else that's come before it, which is something that these movies really exceed in. Is you yeah, really have to see everything else to fully get it. And I think it's really weird because because i also rank war below dawn but it's it's interesting because <clears throat> the more i think about it, dawn is the only movie in the trilogy that is not concerned with uh the original planet of the apes mm -hmm. films like it's just not it doesn't care it's not that it dislikes it or it has any disdain for it or ill contempt for it it's just it doesn't care it Rise, doesn't need to build towards that. It doesn't have to it build still has another movie it. coming after it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's the middle movie. And I understand that that's just the virtue of being the middle movie. But Rise, you have the allusions to... You have the allusions to what will become the mythos of the original Planet of the Apes world. Um, and you also have the shots of the astronauts taking off into space for their mission, which will drop them in the planet of the apes whereas and don doesn't do anything with that war though introduces the character nova and the mutated simian flu uh which mutated simian flu more than anything 
brings you to the okay this is how we get the humans are the cattle in the original planet of the apes films but then it throws in nova which has never sat right with me because beyond the fact that it just doesn't make chronological sense it's just a weird choice to have nova Mm. in this movie especially if you know the original trilogies because this movie has Nova as this young girl. And I mean, let's face it, because she's a kid, like you can't, you can't make a kid like endure awful things on cinema Mm -hmm. and nor should you like, nobody wants to see that, but you introduce this character, Nova, who, if you're alluding to the fact that she's the Nova who Charlton Heston's character will fall in love with when he lands, uh, in I guess 30 years, if you're going by this plants that by these movies timeline, then it's really weird because Nova in those movies is straight up like an enslaved woman, like and it's and like she is subservient to everyone, like she is she is like dirt. So it's very weird to end on this like very hopeful shot of of nova with the apes when if you know the movies and if you're alluding to the fact that this is the same girl who will end up with charlton heston which is just a weird thought to think um i don't think it's literally the same one though i don't think it is either but i'm just like well you also have to remember is that charlton heston's character would have left the the world 12 to 15 years before that making him much older than she is well yeah but in, in the original movies i think there's some sort of weird time dilation thing and it's been like eight thousand wibbly wobbly timey wimey stuff yeah it's been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years two thousand um, years i looked it up uh, yeah. so yeah i think i saw the original planet of the apes movies takes place in like 38 something yeah so it's it's one of those things to where I, I think it's it's like doug said it's weird that they made that the choice where they wanted to like oh let's include an allusion to the original it's like you could have picked a different illusion, though. Well, you could know, have picked a different one. I did a little uh, skimming about some things that because I've seen the 1968 original. I haven't seen the other what four movies mm-hmm. that were four. part of that original series. Um, so I just Which... did some skimming about the things that happened in there, and there's like Caesar is is like the big ape in a lot of those movies, but it doesn't seem to be the same Caesar. But there is some crossover. And then the ape that supposedly uh, was the one who was like finally said no to the humans. Uh, he was some other character and they kind of made that a part of Caesar's character. So to me, it seems pretty clear that these movies were kind of like, this is a retelling of the legend of the planet of the apes and forget the old canon. Here's the new canon you should be concerned with. Yeah. What's a little weird to me is I felt like with Rise and Dawn, we were trying to establish, because in the original movies, there's like the myth of the original ape Caesar that's mentioned. I can't remember where. I think it's in the first one. But there's that um, setup. It's in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, so it's the third movie. Okay, so it's in the third one. But you have that setup where it's like, there's a myth of Caesar. And I was under the impression with Rise and Dawn that we were having this, this thing where we're seeing the reality of the myth. We're seeing there's the myth, there's the archetypal hero of a thousand faces who has come to save the day for the apes but these movies are showing that it's more complicated and it's more nuanced than that and what's weird to me is that war ends it on an extremely literal he is moses note 
Yeah. Like he is actually the mythical figure. Like, like, like that's exactly read, right. We can I mean, he has 30th. a mythical ending, but I mean, the journey to get there is far from mythical, I think. But I like, mean, even in war, it's a lot of, well, I need to do this myself. But yeah. like war also ends like like what mike is saying like you could replace the ending shot of war with just the 34th chapter of deuteronomy and you would get the same you get the same effect yeah i i'd agree that the most of the plot like like um ben is saying is not necessarily mythical um but i guess just for me Honestly, that ending rubs me really wrong just because it's like they go for this overly CGI literal promised land ending and it's like, uh, this is really controversial. I'm not trying to get into another thing, but it's kind of like the ending of Harry Potter to me where it's like, we're so out there at this point. Like, (laughs) It's a very idealized ending. Yeah, it's a very idealized ending, which is weird because the ending with the Colonel is such a brilliant ending. I I love that. That was probably my favorite part in War. Because, I mean, for Caesar especially, like, his whole goal that entire movie is to kill the colonel. And when he finally has the chance, he walks away from it. He chooses to reject the vengeance that right. that he so desperately wants. Yeah. Right. Or at least he's convinced himself that he wants. But he knows he's better than that. And the colonel is so interesting in that scene. Because the colonel mm-hmm. can't live with the fact that he is in the same state his son was in when he killed him. Well, and mm-hmm. also, I mean... I think I think it's just you know he says deliberately like I refuse to have the things that make me human taken from me. Yeah. Like the ability to speak and the higher cognitive function mm-hmm. which in that moment like he still has enough like cognitive function to just say like yeah. And say so I I think this might be my favorite Woody Harrelson acted role. Ever. oh definitely like he he brought it like i i saw that he was going to be in it and i thought he was going to be like a more comedic character and and then we got this yeah. oh, oh. Wait, wait 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 so so you're saying you do not like woody harrelson and now you see me too i mean i do uh because i'm that weird guy i love the now you see me movie i do too and i hate it that people are i hate that people are like these are trash cinema and i'm like yeah they are well they're fine there were good times i don't know if i'd ever watch them again (laughs) yeah he played a great villain uh probably one of the i mean i would put him in like the top tier of great movie villains that Mm -hmm. i've seen absolutely he was despicable but kind of sympathetic also not that i actually agreed with where he landed on anything but i could see the struggle that led him there you know right uh you can see how we got there yeah he was a well-written character i think they all were it's also interesting looking at him in contrast to the other main villain in these movies koba because koba Koba is a very uncertain villain. Like, he thinks what he's doing is gonna work. He's very confident that what he's doing is gonna work. But he doesn't know. Woody Harrelson knows that he's so screwed. Like, he knows from the outset that that no matter what he does, he's already lost. Yeah. And that's that's fascinating to me to see a villain who just knows from the outset that even if they win, 
they've still lost. Right. Yeah. Something that I don't think we've mentioned um, yet, and something that I think these movies really benefit from, is that no one is safe and everyone dies. Like, mm-hmm. you have this situation to where you have Rise and you got John Lithgow and you have James Franco and you got some other people. I think John Lithgow, yeah, he dies in that movie. He but there are other characters. And then you go to Dawn, it's like, nope, they're all dead, whatever, move on. And then you have all these characters you fall in love with the Dawn and you get to Rise and you get to War. It's like, did they die? Probably. I don't know. We're moving on. And it's like such a bleak, dark end of the world. It, it just, it paints that apocalyptic scenario where it's like, I- we know what happened to Malcolm and Ellie. Eh, again, probably died. Best you get. <laughs> so we do at least get some bit of closure with Will. Um, yeah. At least assumptions that you can make because uh, there's an X on his door. His car has been completely overgrown with plants. So, I mean, it's pretty safe to assume that he got the simian flu and died. Yeah. And you get and- that nice little uh, cameo of him on the uh, video camera, which apparently uh, James Franco didn't actually know was being used. Yeah, <laughs> when the movie released. Um, so so one other thing that I think is really interesting, just going back to Dawn, is that you have those characters of Dreyfus, of Dreyfus and Malcolm, who are just the ultimate like climax for human history at the moment. Like they are the climax of humans, um, because you have Malcolm, someone who's very similar to Will from Rise, who who has this hope that not that things are going to get back because he and Dreyfus, I think both realize that they're not getting back to what they had, but he has this hope that we can go on, we can survive. Um, But, and, and you're, you leave the movie unsure about what his future is going to be. You kind of know, but you're still unsure about what, what comes next. Whereas Dreyfus, very similar to the Colonel, he is just overridden with fear and, again, knowledge that he's beat, but... But he's doing what he can to quote him to save the human race. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I've got this little bit of security, this little bit of, of safety, of hope, and I've got to fight for it like hell. Otherwise, why am I still here? Why am I the one who lived when my family is dead? Colonel, why am I the one who's here when I had to shoot my son? You know, and... and I even feel like you get some of that from Caesar in war. Yeah. Like, why is he here when his family is dead? Yeah, and, and I, think, I think it's so interesting that in Dawn, you're able to have just the climax of the human race as a whole illustrated by the Malcolm Dreyfus dynamic, because at the end of the day, Malcolm, the person who still has hope, who knows that he will die and knows that it's all over, gets to walk off into the sunset to die eventually, but gets to walk off. Dreyfus on the other hand, much like the Colonel gets taken out. And I don't even know what I'm trying to say about that moment, but I think those are so, that's so powerful that you're mm-hmm. able to just so clearly indicate the fact that Malcolm represents the end of humanity's rise. Dreyfus, with his death, you have all of humanity's end. 
I think that's really powerful. You know, there's one thing left in uh, to talk about. I know about. there is. I know there <laughs> I is. I really and don't then, want to follow that up with and it. Then, <laughs> then it would be so easy, man. Just act like you loved it. Just act like you loved it. Uh, don't don't fight me on this. Uh, I do want to briefly talk about the humor and war, uh, specifically the character of uh, Bad Ape. Um, I hated it. I loved it. I think it's one of the strongest. Doug loved it, and I hated it. I think it's one of the strongest bits uh, was, of the movie. I, I'm there was different. one moment in particular, <laughs> I don't even remember what it was, where Bad Ape makes a joke, and I actually facepalmed. I'm like, really? I but think. between that, uh, there were some other attempts at humor, like Matt Reeves likes to do, that really just fell flat for me and took me out of the moment, um, which I feel like for a movie of this weight, it it's tricky because uh, you know you do want to break up the heaviness of it i think this movie doesn't do a good job of that okay so um now i'm gonna come in and say ben i think you're wrong i mean that's but fine not, I might not, be. So, not solely about the humor because i i agree with you the humor in in war is weird but i think that bad ape serves such a higher point than to be a joke I will I agree th- with that. I, I think, think Bad Ape could have been a very interesting character. See, I, I th- think he is a very interesting character. But um, some of his humorously written dialogue ruined it for me. I don't think it's I don't think it's that it's supposed to, I mean, even if it's trying to be written humorously, I don't think it's delivered in a humorous way. I think that Bad Ape represents so clearly to me just how just how hard and how devastating it would be to be an ape in this scenario who suddenly you have this intelligence you have this heightened sense of self and you look and you see as all the humans start to fall around you and somehow you're able to survive and so you go and you isolate and you protect yourself for long enough not so that you'll find someone because heck as far as you know everyone else is dead every other ape is dead but for the moment being for the time being you're able to just protect yourself and you're able to live another day and i think it's hauntingly beautiful mm-hmm. just how incredible of a character bad ape is i will say i love the concept of it it didn't hit, it, it didn't hit for me though and i think it hit a bullseye for me i'm glad I think it was an attempt. Yeah, it, it took me a minute to figure out what they were doing with this character. You know, the the way they introduced Bad Ape, that whole sequence was, uh, I mean, I was all in. And when we finally got to see what this character was like, I was like, they are doing a comic relief thing with him aren't they because i started laughing as soon as he started speaking but i didn't think i was supposed to you know what i mean mm-hmm. and it kept going and i was like okay so they are trying to make a comic relief character right and that did feel a little pasted on but i also laughed even before i realized i was supposed to so was that a success <laughs> i'll call it a that? mild success but yeah. it, it, it did affect my score for this movie. I will I, agree. I think, yeah, it, it probably brought my score down a little. <laughs> I think it I think it brings my score down a little just because it feels like there are some things tacked onto this movie that I don't think needed to be tacked onto this movie. It's not overly long, 
to me. I like it's not that it slows down particularly, but it just kind of feels like the Nova thing doesn't feel super fleshed out, and the mm-hmm. Bad Ape thing doesn't feel super fleshed out. Like I get what they were going for, but like it just kind of felt really like. Uh, I think I if know. they had picked one of those characters, like really focus in on uh, to go with uh, the three three or four like main apes i think I, it would have been yeah i think it was I, three because bad ape was I, fourth i think I it would have been really solid now i'll agree with you on that i think it's i my other little bit of issue on this movie and i think that kind of plays into it is i think they kill off caesar's family like way too early Same. way too early it just kind of just happens out of nowhere because it's like we want to start with an angry Caesar, but we mm-hmm. know that doesn't make sense. So we have to make him angry. Right. Honestly, it took me a second to realize that it was even Caesar's family that died. Well, and like, like the movie doesn't really do anything to tell you that it happens. Right. I mean, it. I don't know. Yeah, that, that felt like something that should have happened like 50 minutes into the movie and not like mm-hmm. five. But yeah. Um, yeah, those those are it's just there's some pacing issues there's some like dark knight rises isms in this movie that kind of lowers it for me because it feels like they're trying to hit this big epic ending but also be funny but also be clever but also you know like it it feels like they bit off a little too much more than they could chew i mean i'm glad it wasn't two movies but yeah that that's kind of my the things that i think hold war back from being like dawn but if it wasn't for those things then the high points are just desired for me. Like, and you know what really slaps about this movie? The score. The score is great. There's very little left to be said about Michael Giacchino. Um, Amen. That hasn't already been said. But man, I just I love the little ape theme, like in Dawn, like the do 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 like that little. Oh, it's good. Whole score is great. Whole score is amazing. Yeah. Well, speaking of scores, are we ready to score these movies? Let's do it. Uh, well, let's start by scoring Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Doug, would you like to get started? Oh, yeah. This I have no problem scoring. I'm going to give this movie a 92. Um, this movie, it's one of the greatest sequels I've ever seen. Like, it honestly might be one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, period. It's so good. It, it hits every single point so mm. perfectly. Agreed. Uh, I'm actually going to go a little bit higher. I'm going to give it a 94. I loved it. I think it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, Yeah, let me go ahead and give it a 93. (laughs) I think um, I I don't mean to drag it down just a touch. No, that's fair. To me, I'm going to give this a 90. I think this movie is an easy A. I think it accomplishes everything it sets out to do. The only reason I don't give it higher is because while it's an amazing movie, I don't typically go back and rewatch this one over and over again, but that's the only That's fair. Reason. Yeah. Uh, well, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer. My voice is back, folks. My oh, voice good. is back fully. Uh, good. You're going to need it here in a second. Uh, we've got a final score of a 92.25. Let's move on to war. <laughs> what is it good for? I've been wanting to do that this whole episode. I'm so happy for you. Why don't you start us off with your score then? Cool. Uh, I'm going to give this... Uh, so I gave Rise an 87. Or not an 87, an 85. Um, and I think this movie is a little bit better. So I'm going to give it an 87. That's where the 87 came from. 
So um, I'll go next and I'll go on tell everybody I watched <laughs> War after I watched Rise and I still like War more than I like Rise. But I do regret scoring uh, Rise as high as I did because I'm going to do the exact same thing as Ben and I'm just going to put War just slightly above it. But I'm actually just going to say I'm going to give it an 88 purely because I can't go lower <laughs> than 88. You could. I still, I still really enjoy War, and I really enjoy Rise. I just score right. I just scored Rise a little too high. I'm gonna give it an 89, which is also what I gave Rise. I am lucky because I am not beholden to you guys <laughs> in terms of the Rise situation. Uh, if I had to give Rise a score, I'd give it either a 78 or an 80. Uh, I'm going to give War an 83. I think it's a really, really good movie. I do think some things hold it back. And I right. think, being perfectly honest, I think that's the really accurate score for War. Just just me personally, I think that's the accurate score for War. Uh, well, after plugging that into our patented scoreometer, you <laughs> get a final score of an 86.75. So, um, just to clarify. That does mean that Doug is the closest on average for all three of these movies. I gave it an 87. I was the closest. <laughs> so get out of here. Wait, wait, wait. what did you say the decimal was? 86.75. Okay, I thought you said it was 87.75. <clears throat> but because Mike dragged it down uh, cumulatively, it was actually uh, setting the skein's third favorite point of the Apes film. I, nice. I feel bad about that, but that's okay. Yeah, I don't. 83 is an 83. Yeah. So, that's so real quick. So, real quick. So, the score for War was 86.75. The score for uh, On was 92.25. Do you remember what the score for um, uh, 87.25, I think? 87.25. So, that means that after you. Uh, Oh, put all nice. of those put all of those averages into our patented scoreometer. The average score for the entire Planet of the Apes 2010's uh trilogy is 88.75. It's nothing so, to scoff at. So yeah. I would just like to reiterate the point that Mike said at the beginning of this movie and that I said at the beginning of last week's episode. If you have not watched these movies yet, do, do yourself it. a favor and watch them because they are fantastic. Hmm. They're great films. Yeah. And you know what's also exciting? Next week, we're watching another just absolute epic of a movie. Oh, like I want you to think IMAX cameras, cinematography that Christopher Nolan uh, only dreams of yeah. recreating this is going to be a ben-hur level event we're okay. talking we're talking Han Han zimmer would pay the director actually offered to pay the director to do the score for this movie and was turned down so elijah what movie are we watching next week you know that was funny but i also feel like you're acting like this movie is isn't a huge deal you know this is on like that big list of the greatest film scripts ever written do you know yeah, that yeah i do know that i do know that it's just it's and i have i haven't seen it and i have no doubt that it's a great movie 
I just also think it's really funny to say that it's an epic on the level oh, of Ben Hur. It's it's an epic on the level of Ben Hur called When Harry Met Sally, and it's going to be a really great time. Hey, I'll have what she's having. Um, that's literally the only line I know from that movie. I feel like that's the reason you think you don't want to watch this movie, but you oh, do want to watch this movie, oh, Doug. Please, no, I do want to watch this movie. I just don't want to watch. I'm not in a rom com mood right now. I gotta be in the well. Mood maybe you'll be in a rom com mood next week when we talk about when Harry met Sally. But that's until then, point. Uh, be sure to keep up with us on social media at Hider Media. We've got new episodes of Setting the Skeen releasing every Wednesday. Uh, and until next week, I'm Ben. I'm Doug. I'm Elijah. I'm Michael. And this has been Setting the Skein. You all have a wonderful week. Mm-hmm.